ideas. At the last minute, I'm like, you know, I used to always, I would always go places and teach, like to the prison, or I would go to something like that, and um, I always used a board. I never had the fancy electronics and all of the different things. And so today I got this harebrained idea that I needed to use my board. And so you saw me rushing around trying to get ready for that. But what I want to do is I had a precious soul this last week who asked me a question. We talked on Monday. And we've had a lot of loss in the congregation these last few months. We've went through some trials and it's been a very hard and trying time. And, And she asked me, Daryl, what happens really when we die? And so what I want to do is for this week and next week, I want to take you through the scriptures and I want to explain to everyone exactly what happens when, when we leave this world. Um, hopefully it will be healing and helpful to those who have had recent losses. Hopefully for those who are facing struggles, It'll be a reassurance and it'll be faith and courage as we get ready to face those things because we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today with us. And I know that he is with me no matter what men may say. So we're going to look at this and it's going to give us hope and, and well-being. And so before we enter into this, let's pray. And I want to ask you to pray for a moment on your own and to prepare your heart and your mind to receive the word of God and then we will begin. Father, as we enter into this, it's, it's something that we all should know. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us, the spirit of comfort that you have left to be with us. And may the spirit of comfort open up our minds to receive this as peace and healing and faith. And Father, be with us as we study this. We love you and we thank you for Jesus and for what you're about to reveal in your word the next couple of weeks as we lead into the, to the season that we celebrate as the birth of your Son and our Savior. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and ask these things. Amen. If you want to, go ahead and get ready to turn to um, the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes. And while you're, while you're going there... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little something I heard last week. It kind of fits in with what we got going on this week. We got, um, there goes all the church of the future. Um, there was this group of scientists. They figured out how that they could uh, form life in a test tube. So they figured we don't need God anymore. And we can just tell him that we've figured out this secret of life. And that we don't need you anymore. I I saw something else this week that would even floor you even more. They've actually now are saying that they've constructed an artificial womb so that we don't even need women anymore. Uh, I'm not buying it. Uh, I'm not buying it. 
um, I think we're going too far in all of this. But these scientists said we don't need God anymore. And um, so they went to God and said, you can bow out now. We've become like you and um, we don't need you. We can form life on our own. And God said, okay, I'll, I'll take up that challenge. Let's see who can do it better. They said, okay. So God began to go to work with his dirt like he did in the beginning with Adam. And um, the scientists started to do the same. And, and the Lord said, ho, ho, go get your own dirt. See if you can come up with that. So anyway, you see, we're always going to be dependent on the Lord for anything that we need in this life. And uh, has anyone ever asked you a question or have you ever asked a question? And whenever you either answered it or got the answer, it was more confusing than whenever you began. Yeah, well, that happened to me this week because I had a dear sister who, who gave me a phone call on Monday and, and she lost her husband about two months ago. And she's the one that started this. She, a precious soul asked me, what happens when we die? And I started to explain over the phone, and I could tell that I was getting confused, let alone she probably was. And I promised her that I would sit down and take this in hand and explain it in a way that we can all understand. And so that's what we're going to attempt to begin to do today with that. The first thing that we can start out with is that we're creatures from two realms. Have you ever thought of that? That we are beings that represent two complete different realms of life. There is in Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 7, it says that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives, actually, and man became a living being. So here we have the beginning of that. And there was two sources, wasn't there? What we had was, we had this earth. The dust of the ground that man was created from. But then it says that God, and we're going to have to get something different so you all can see in the back. There we go. And God breathed into the nostrils the breath of lives. So the body part, our shell, that shell was composed from the elements of the ground. And it says in verse 6 right before that, that it had not rained as of yet when the Lord created the world because he had a mist to come up from underneath to ground to water the face of the earth. So that means that the face of the earth was moist. And God used the elements of water and the chemical compositions that was in the soil to form a body. To put it together, to form it with head and with legs and with arms and with body. And so that man, as he was being formed, and as he lay there, and, and you're going to find out that I'm no artiste. The guys at prison always thought it was funny. But hopefully it's going to help explain things. So as the Lord God began forming the man. And his hands as it were so to speak. Were there preparing that it was a tent. It was a place of residence like a house that does not yet have the beings within it. 
It was there as a shell. And it was not until God breathed into man's nostrils that breath of life that we became this living being that we are. So we are of two realms, whether we want to think so or not. We are dust of earth, a material, physical being. But we also have a part of us who is of God. The breath of God gave us life. And the two of them together united to make that life. There was no life within that body until the Lord God breathed it within there. It was a housing for what would be the eternal body. And then in Genesis 3, whenever they had the fall of man... They had, a promise had been made in the day that you eat. You don't eat of that tree that's in the midst of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. On the day that you do, you shall surely die. And that's the word death twice. Dying, you will die. And so there was going to be a couple of deaths that takes place. Physical and spiritual. The spiritual one took place instantly. And the physical one took Another 900 and some years, we're told, in the next chapter of Genesis chapter 4. But it came into being, and then God said, By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return back to the ground. Because from out of the ground you were taken, and to the ground you were returned. Dust you are, and to dust thou shalt return. And so... When you think about what happens to us then when we die, it's the exact opposite of what happens when life comes. When life comes, there was two worlds that collided together, a physical and a spiritual, the dust and the breath of God. Whenever we die, the body that was that shell to house who we really are will return and go back to the earth, but that spirit what happens to it? What happens to the spirit? Well, that's where the 12th chapter of Ecclesiastes comes in. And if you turn there with me, follow along and we'll begin in verse 1. And in that 12th chapter, he begins in verse 1 by saying, Remember now thy creator in the days of your youth. And I asked myself, why? Why would he say that? To remember it when we're young. Well, we can come to Christ at any time, but it's best to do it young. You know why? Old habits die hard, don't they? If, if you get out of the habit early, you might not get back into the habit late. So continue to remember your Creator in the days of your youth while you're able to. We don't know how long it will be, so do it from your youth onward. And then it says this, as you begin to grow old in verse 3 and 2 and 3, you're going to not desire the things of this life. And I'm going to tell you something. I've been around enough folks that when the time comes, they don't care about everything that they've worked for in their life. The only thing they care about is their loved ones and where they're going. Everything that you thought was important in this life that you worked for, that you strived for, that you desired, that you put on the front burner, there's going to come a time when it's not going to mean anything to you. It, it can't be of any good use to you. So he says, remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Because don't get out of the habit of seeing him. He said, the keepers of the house are going to begin to tremble. 
And that means one day my hands will start going like this. And one day my legs are going to go like this. And it says even the strong man who had the core and could pick up two 50-pound bags of feed, throw them on the truck like it was nothing, one day the back will begin to bow over and the hands shake and you won't be what you used to be. So remember thy creator before that time comes. It says, also the windows will grow dark. My eyes will begin to not to be able to see as well. And I'm going to need stronger and stronger cheaters to be able to see and to read because it's going to grow dim. And then he says, you're going to have a hard time chewing because your teeth are going to fall out and they're going to, the grinders is what they're called up there. Your grinders are going to give away and it's going to be hard. We've, we've tried to overcome that with false teeth now. But back in those days, your grinders are going to fall out and everything that you desired in this physical realm is going to give away into nothingness. And then he says this in verse 6, why you need to remember your creator in the days of your youth because there comes a time in verse 6, when the silver cord of life is loosed for dust, the body, in verse 7, will return to the earth as it was. And the eternal spirit that was given by God will return back to God. So now we see that everything as we pass is the same way as when we came. We had a body made of the earth which will go back to that. And then we had the spirit that was given by God, it will return back to God who gave it to him because it is everlasting. It will never cease to exist or to have consciousness. And so then, because of all this, Solomon, you see, Solomon's experiment from God was something because God used the man who asked for wisdom. And so it says God gave him a greater wisdom than anyone had ever had upon the face of the earth. He had the wisdom. Not only that, he was the son of King David. He had the wealth of the world at his disposal. He was the richest man in the world. He came from the greatest heritage of the world in, in David's lineage. And he also had a degree of wisdom far beyond anyone else. And he tried throughout this entire book of Ecclesiastes to find what you and I seek for, which is happiness. He searched and he searched for happiness. And as you go through it, I searched with this, I searched with that. I, I did everything that I could, but what he had done was he gave up on God while he searched for his happiness. And then he comes back to the end of it. Three times throughout that book, though, he'll dot it with this. You know what the best thing man can do with his time and money is to worship God and to enjoy those things with his family. To have a meal and drink and to share time with your family. Those are the most important things. And as he gets to the end of the road, after the experiment is over, he finally says, I should have remembered God in the days of my youth. And I should have stuck through him the whole time because the silver cord is about to release. And if you go down to the bottom of the chapter, he says this. Here is the conclusion of the whole matter. It is to fear God and keep his commandments. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. And then you say, why would that be the conclusion? Because that soul is never going to cease to exist. 
And we're told in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 very clearly that this is going to take place. It says, it is appointed unto man wants to die, but after this, the judgment. So there is going to be something that takes place in the future that our eternal soul is going to be present at where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it's better to accept that and to remember the Lord in the days of your youth rather than to let it go. So now, if you want to turn your books to Luke chapter 16 in your Bible, what I want to do is give you now what happens next. As soon as we have this life turning into passing and this body going to where it goes and the spirit returning to God, what's that mean? And what begins to happen there? And the Lord Jesus himself give us this example and he used a believer in himself, a believer in God, and he used someone who did not believe and chose to follow the pleasures of this life instead of remembering in the days of his youth his creator. If you're there with me, this is called The Rich Man and Lazarus, and it's Luke chapter 16, and beginning in verse 19, it reads like this. There was a certain rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And then there was a certain beggar, whose name was Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores. And desiring to be fed from the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, and moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also, and he was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, and being in torments, he seeth afar off Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. And send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented within these flames. And Abraham said, Son, remember, there is in thy lifetime thou receivest thy good things. And likewise, Lazarus received the evil things. But now he is being comforted and thou art being tormented. Beside all of this, between us, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who would desire to pass from here to there cannot do it. And in return, those who are there that would desire to come here cannot. Because there is a great gulf between the two that has been fixed. Then he said, I pray thee then, Father Abraham, that thou wouldest send Lazarus back to my father's house because there are five of my brethren there who do not know him and I do not want them to come to this place of torment that I am in and Abraham said to him they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them and he said nay father Abraham but send Lazarus if one would return from the dead and tell them he would hear them and repent and Abraham said unto him if they would not hear Moses and the prophets, neither would they be persuaded, even though one rose from the dead. Wow. That's a pretty graphic story, isn't it? 
And I want, I want to say this about this. This is, this is the truth. This is actual and it happened. It's not a parable. Every time Jesus divulges into a parable, he'll say, now I'm telling a parable of the sower or a parable of this. This is not a parable. In parables, he never used real names. We have the name of Lazarus here. A certain man named Lazarus. So this is a real event that happened in time. I don't know if it was at the time here and the people knew who Lazarus and this rich man was or if it was sometime before. But the Lord Jesus, being the eternal one, knew them, knew this truth, and he wanted to share it with those who were listening and he wanted us, it was written, so that we also would learn from this and to know what is going on. And the Lord is giving us the viewpoint of what happens when that soul is going back to God and the body going back to the dust. And he's given us the viewpoint of both sides of what's going to happen. And he says this, there is a certain rich man. And I want to emphasize that the Lord here is not telling us that riches are bad. What was bad was the mental attitude of the man who was rich. He just happened to be rich. That wasn't what got him put in the Hadean world. What got him there was he had rejected Jesus Christ and the teaching of God. He remembered not his creator in the days of his youth. And he got carried up then as he became rich into those riches. And he fared sumptuously each day. And he enjoyed each day as it came about. But it wasn't because of the riches that he was there. He enjoyed wealth and health. And then it says this, he had fine clothes. He fared sumptuously. That word is where, it's the word euphoria, where we get ecstatic joy and pleasure. This man was happy with all the things that he had, and it made him joyful every day. He was enjoying what he had. And then we have a contrast to a man who was a beggar who had nothing as the world looks at things. He was not only had nothing, he was full of sores. His body was literally riddled with these ulcers is what the word is that had came through his skin. He was very sick. And it says then that they came and laid him there. That's not what they did. Let me tell you what happened. The word is balo, which means like where we get the word for ball, and you throw it. it. The word means to be thrust or tossed about. Here is this man who is barely holding on. He has no means to work for himself and to take care of himself, and he is sick, and there's no way to get the provision for that or for his food. And somebody brings him to the gate of a rich man and tosses him there in hopes, it says, that somebody, that the rich man would spare the crumbs and send some crumbs out to him. Not leftovers. Not what you had left over from the Thanksgiving meal and you might share. But these are crumbs that fell from the table to the ground that's going to be tossed out. Just like he's been tossed there. These are things that were, would be tossed out. But it says not only that, that the dogs were coming by and licked his sores. And you know why the dogs were coming by? Because in those days, the doors were open so that the airflow could come through. 
And those dogs weren't like our precious little dogs. These were scavengers. These were mutts that was wandering all around. And they would dart in and eat those crumbs that are on the floor and dart out before you could get your hands on them. That's what was happening. And it says this, that the dogs were coming like Lazarus did to get the crumbs that are on the floor. Lazarus was unable to help himself to them. The dogs couldn't bring that back in their little saliva-filled mouths. So the best thing that they could do with that was to go ahead and lick his sores and show him some kind of compassion that the rich man never did. The rich man never tossed anything to Lazarus's way as he lay there. And then it says this. After the dogs were there and licking up his sores, it says that the poor man died. And we find out at this point that Lazarus was a believer. Because it says that as he did, that it says that the angels came and grabbed a hold of him. Now, he was a valiant believer. I don't hear him complaining that things weren't fair. I don't hear him complaining about the rich man not giving him anything. I don't hear nothing at all from him. What I do see from this is that he had a great mental attitude about God as my provider. I accept what's my lot in life. And he laid there and when he passed on, he did it with dignity. And he was rewarded for that mental attitude. It says that by this faith, the moment that the soul left the body, it says that the angels came. There's the crown and wings. The angels came and they swooped down. And at that very moment, they harvested him. Yeah, that's the word that's used throughout all the Bible. In Job chapter 5, I'm going to share with you one day. The Lord is like the farmer who knows the proper time to harvest his children. How that at the time at the end, the Lord's going to send forth the angels with their sickles because the grapes of wrath are ready and go harvest them with your sickles. The angels harvest the crop for the Lord. And it brought in this poor man that sat at the gate. Now, he wasn't thrown anywhere this time. He was gently carried into the bosom of Abraham. And then the rich man. It wasn't so good for the rich man. The Lord makes it a point here to tell us that the rich man died also and he was buried. You don't read that about Lazarus, do you? You know why? Because in those days, to have a funeral procession and to have a burial vault, you had to have money. Like Joseph of Arimathea had when Christ died upon the cross and the Lord was taken down, he put him in his own tomb that had been carved so that the Lord would have a place to go. You see, what happened to someone that was a beggar and full of sores, there's a gate. Jerusalem is built as a walled city on the top of a hill. Several hundred feet down to the bottom of a valley called Henna. And at that back gate, they call it the Dung Gate. That's pretty politically correct, isn't it? But what they did is this is where all the human waste, all of the trash, all of everything that needed to be discarded and burned would be thrown out that down into the valley of Hinnon because they thought they would never fill it up. And that place never stopped burning. 
All of the hundreds and the thousands of people who were there daily put the trash in there and the fires burned all the time and the smoke was always rising. The Lord, that's why Henna the valley became known as Gehenna. And Gehenna is the Greek word for hell. And Jesus used that word in Mark chapter 9 when he said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Because it would be better for you to enter into life maimed and having two hands and go into hell. You would rather go into life with only one if that hand is offending you so that you don't go to Gehenna. To, they use that as the picture of where the place that the evil would go. And he said, into the fire, the Lord said in, in uh, Mark 9 there, that will never be quenched and where the worm dieth not. That is the place that they used as a picture in their mind of the place that you do not want to go to. And so here it is with all of that. Lazarus, it's not said for sure, but tradition would say that unless he had some relatives that took care of him, that he was probably cast out like the others through that gate into that pit so that the disease and things would not spread. And that's where all the animals that were sacrificed, everything is thrown into here. And he wasn't buried. But the rich man had the means to be buried. So this is what the world sees. But the real world is on the other side. This world is not the true world. This world was created billions of years after eternity started. There was no start. We can't put, God has always been. This is just something that's taking up some time in between. When this world is gone, eternity goes on again. And now we're going to get a glimpse into that world. Because what the world saw was a rich man and all of his stuff. And boy, I'd like to be like him. And the poor man and his problems and I don't want to be like him. What they failed to look upon that the Lord looks upon is the heart. God says, I don't judge by the things that you see. I judge according to the heart. And the heart of the rich man did not remember his creator in the days of his youth. Lazarus' heart remembered his creator throughout the whole way. And so now it says that whenever the rich man who had fared sumptuously every day and who was so ecstatic about his life and so happy that now it says something happened with him that he's going to raise up his eyes in torments. Let's see if we can get this erased. I'll do some more drawing here. He's going to lift up his eyes and it says that he being in torments and he's going to see something. So here's what happened. As... As we die and that spirit goes off to God who gave it. To the one who is in Christ. Who believes in the saving power of Jesus. The angels carry them into the heart of the earth somewhere. There's actually three pits. And I'll get into the third one next week for us. But there is two pits that we're going to talk about today. This is the gulf that's fixed. This is the Hadean world in the center of the earth. 
And on this side is the rich man. And it's called the place of torments. On this side, the angels carried Lazarus into Abraham's bosom. The bosom is a place of tenderness and also honor. A mother will hold her child to their bosom, nourish and feed them and take care of them. Whenever you grow up, it's said that at the Last Supper that John was seated and leaned back upon the bosom of his Lord. The bosom was also the place of honor. It, is, it means to be right next to whether you're holding that baby or whether you're a grown individual in Christ. At the moment the soul leaves, the angels carry you into that bosom to where you are going to be nourished, strengthened, comforted, and taken care of. And it is a place of honor. So the one who had high esteem in the world didn't get it in the next world because of his mental attitude. The one who was of low esteem and tossed about at the gate was now held in high esteem and honor in this place. And the rich man, he looks up and he had every opportunity in life to accept the call of God upon his heart. And he failed to do so. He didn't take that opportunities as they came. And it says that he was buried and in the Hadean world, the unseen world of the souls where they have departed the earthly body, there are two compartments. And he went to the one that's called torments. And it says, in there, he opened his eyes and he cried out. And then he said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me. Two things hit him at once when it says he opened his eyes and he cried out. The things that hit him were as he opened his eyes, he realized where he was. That he was not where he had hoped to be. That there was this actual place that he had heard about but had rejected during his life. And then he was feeling the heat and the torment of the place. And the realization that my lot is here and it won't change. And then with his eyes he was able to see into the next compartment. And he could recognize Abraham and he recognized Lazarus, this one who had been laid at his gate that he also rejected and didn't help out. I'm going to get off topic here for a minute. It says he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham and he saw Lazarus. You realize what the Lord's telling us here? In the afterlife, you can see and you can recognize, can't you? One day... We'll get to see my mama again. One day I'm going to get to see all of my relatives. And all of my friends. And all of my loved ones. And I want it to be on this side. Where Lazarus is. I don't want it to be on that side. And looking at the party that's going on. Over there. So folks. Remember the Lord. Now. In the days of your youth. While you can. He recognized these things. 
And it says that this word that's used there, it says, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus over. And he's crying out. He says this, in this flame, I am tortured. In this place called torments. When it says the place called torments and he's tormented in this flame. That word carries separation. The word originated as the sun going down on a sunset. And then the earth being enveloped in darkness. And that you ever have, have it whenever you feel awful about something when it hits you. And you get that, they call it the sinking feeling inside. That's the term. He got this sinking feeling that where I am is where I'm going to be. But then he tried to have hope. He called out, I'm of the Jewish lineage, Father Abraham. Have, have mercy on me. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be one of yours. And there's Lazarus. I, I remember him. Send him down here. I am tormented in this. It means a severe emotional plus physical pain. So his emotional pain of not being where he wanted was as bad as his physical pain that he was feeling from the flame. So two Things hit him, it says, when he opened his eyes and he realized and he saw. Both of those are coming into effect. But now, I want you to see what else it says. As Abraham talks to him, as he asked for Father Abraham, Abraham answers him. And he says this to him, and the word is actually child. It means my little child. He said, child, don't you remember that while you were alive, that you enjoyed life and you had your good things. And then it says, likewise, Lazarus, his evil things. What that is saying is you enjoyed the way you lived and you lived it without God. But it's also saying this. Lazarus enjoyed his life because of God. You enjoyed your life because you didn't know God but you had things. Likewise, though, Lazarus was happy in his life because he knew God. And like Paul would write and say, I have been shipwrecked. I have been beaten. I have three times received 39 lashes with the whip. I have been stoned and left for dead and rose back again. I have been in the oceans overnight in darkness and not knowing what was going on. But in all of these things, I have learned. It's not something that comes easy. I have learned to be content with who I am and the state that I am in. Because I serve a God who is bigger than my problems, than my pain, and then the situation that I am in. Lazarus had this same mentality. Likewise, Lazarus enjoyed his life even though his surroundings looked evil. And some people say, when they look on certain situations in life, this ain't fair. That wasn't fair when you see something or know someone or you read it in a paper. I want to ask you something. What really is fair? If you would ask right now, in these two compartments, what's really fair? 
Who do you think would say life was fair? I think Lazarus would, wouldn't you? He's going to say, oh, it was more than fair. That was a drop in the bucket to eternity, what I went through. But now I've got eternity face to face with my Lord. I am in the bosom being comforted. It would now be the rich man who would say, that wasn't fair. I didn't truly think that something like this would happen. You see, what you see is not what is really is. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, and the Lord wants us to know that. He says, child, don't you remember these things? And then he says, now Lazarus is comforted. That word begins with para, which means side by side or face to face. Whenever it talks about the Holy Spirit being our comforter, he's called the paraclete. This is parakaleo. It means to be side by side, to be within, to be face to face with. It says now he is being comforted face to face with his Savior and in that world. And with God at the moment. Because Jesus right now is testifying to them. But he's with God. And he says this. There is no outer ring where other places are that you can try to do something to get them into this box he says and i'll have you to know i can't send lazarus over there to dip his finger in that water and to comfort your tongue because there is a the word for great there is mega there is a mega gulf and it is fixed it is stationary god has said it He has promised these things and he cannot change his promise. There is a great gulf fixed between these two places. And you can now not cross over to this place. And we, even if we desired to try to help you out now, cannot cross over to where you are to do such a thing. And then he says this. He says, well then, send Lazarus out. Back into the world to my brothers. I have five in my father's house sending there. So that they do not come to this place that I'm in. Evidently his brothers lived the same lifestyle. And had the same mental frame that he did. And he realized that. And out of love and hope. He didn't want them he said to come to this same place. You know what father Abraham said? We can't. We can't leave this realm. But they have something that's powerful. They have Moses and the prophets. And he said, oh no, nay, Father Abraham. But if someone would come back from the dead and tell them, then surely they would believe that. And he said, no, they wouldn't. Even if Lazarus could and he did, they still would not believe. You know why? There is nothing more powerful than the word of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes there and says that the word of God is the power of God for salvation for the Jew first and also to the rest of the world. The word is the power of salvation. The the people who followed Moses out of Egypt saw waters parted, armies drowned, walked on dry ground, saw enough water come out of a rock when they spoke and said, God, provide. And he provided water for two million people and their animals. The same 
people that saw every miracle that was the greatest miracles you could see died in the wilderness because they said that you are a stiff-necked, rebellious, full-of-flesh people. The word, it's not miracles. It's not something you see. Look at the miracles of Jesus and they crucified him. The word is the most powerful thing that there is in the world. And it is the power of God to salvation. And when it enters into your heart, and it enters into your mind, and you begin to serve him, you are a changed being. And it is the only thing that has the power to save. And that's what Abraham told the rich man. And that's what Christ wants us to know. That it's my word. These words of mine will give you life. They are also the things that will judge you in the end. So as our worship team returns, we've only just begun. Because you see, we're going to find out next week that this place here has been opened. This place is still there and it's going to be there until the judgment. But this place has been opened. There's some things that's happened and there's some things that happened with you and I that didn't happen at this time that goes even a step further. And I want to share that all with you next week. So, so bring someone with you next week. Tell them we're going to talk about something great and what happens and what really happens with us now after Christ and the cross. And I hope that you will bring a friend. But what did I learn today? I learned the reality of duality that I am a physical and a spiritual being. I have a part that returns back to the earth, but I have a part that will never lose consciousness. At the point of separation, just as in unity when the spirit entered the body, life became, that at the part of separation when the spirit leaves, it's going to go to one of two places. My desire is for every one of us that it's going to be carried by the angels into the presence of God. And then, for the rest, I'm not going to say anything till next week. I'm going to leave you hanging, so come back. Same bat time, same bat channel. And we will close the rest of this out. And let's, let's pray. And Father, we have faced so many things this year and even recently. Pray that these words of yours begin to bring hope and healing. That we know where those in Christ are and they are being comforted at, the, at this very moment. Our desires for those who don't know Christ to learn about him. Our desire mimics yours. It says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Father, our prayer is the same. You've left us here as your ambassadors, as your hands and feet to be within this community and to be within those that we come in contact with to share a message like this so that everyone will repent so that they will find life and everlasting life. May that decision be made today if there are any of those who are not in Christ and give us the strength and the courage to tell everyone that we meet about Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.